In 2013, life threw our next guest a huge curveball with the tragic and unexpected death of her 19-year-old daughter. Her response to this devastating tragedy was to dust herself off and immediately launch a nonprofit foundation to keep what happened to her daughter from ever happening again to any parent. Up next is the fascinating journey of our next outstanding advocate in the face of tragedy. Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Hello and welcome to season three of the Voices in Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts. On today's show, we visit with Julie Walker mother, award-winning advocate, and executive director of the Peyton Walker Foundation, where she works tirelessly to provide training and education to thousands on CPR and AED use, additionally providing free heart screenings for teens. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to welcome a friend. Welcome, Julie, to today's show. Roger, thank you so much for the invitation to be here with you today. I, I'm excited about it, Julie. And uh, with that, let's let's get started. Today, we're going to talk to someone who created their own advocacy. Julie, take us take us back to the beginning in 2013, and share with our listeners what happened. Well, on November second, 2013. Life as I knew it and loved it came to an end without warning. Um, it was a beautiful, beautiful fall morning here in Pennsylvania. I had just sat down uh, on a Saturday morning to have breakfast with my husband, um, made some pumpkin walnut pancakes, had a warm cup of coffee in my hand, and I sat there and looked out the window and it, the, just the fall leaves were this brilliant yellow and the sky was crystal blue. And I sat there and thought, my God, my life is so wonderful. It's so perfect. I'm so blessed. And I'll never like just making sure that I had that moment of gratitude. I'll never forget that. Um, and then my phone rang, my husband's cell phone. And I said, you know, you better get that just, just to see who that is. So he got up and answered it. And it was the president of King's College, where my daughter was a sophomore and he was calling to let us know that our daughter had just been taken by ambulance to the hospital. And it just still gives me goosebumps just having to think about that. Um, we had no idea what was going on, what was happening. So we started getting dressed and getting ready to go out the door to get up to Wilkes-Barre, which is a two hour drive from where we live. Um, as we're getting ready, the phone rang again. And this time it was a nurse calling from the emergency room 
to let us know that our daughter had just been brought in in full cardiac arrest. Now, we had no idea what that meant. I mean, she's 19. What do you mean cardiac arrest that I don't understand? So we were absolutely reeling, had no information. And my husband did have the wherewithal to say, well, is she breathing on her own? And the nurse said, no, she's not. Please get here as quickly and safely as you can. So as you can imagine, actually, you can't. Um, you know, we got in the car and, and made that drive like you want to get there, but you don't want to get there because it's you know, we don't know what we're about to face. So tragically, you know, we we got to the hospital when we pulled up. There were two priests standing in the emergency room department. And as soon as I saw the priests, I, I knew it. Our daughter was gone. Um, making the decision to actually walk into the ER was one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made in my life because I really just wanted to turn tail and run the other way and pretend this wasn't happening. So we, we found out uh, tragically, we'd lost Peyton to sudden cardiac arrest. Uh, we didn't get to say goodbye to our 19 year old daughter. She was full of life, fun, loving, energetic, danger seeking, you know, everything that you could do that was dangerous and fun. She was involved in. And how does this happen? We knew, didn't really know anything about sudden cardiac arrest. So what, drove us to do what we're doing today. When we walked out of the hospital, the nurse handed me a bag of, of clothing that Peyton had been wearing. And that bag sat on my living room floor for five weeks. I just could not bring myself to open it. And finally, one day I said, you know, I'm gonna just open this up. I just wanna smell my daughter. I opened it up and pulled out this red long sleeved t-shirt. And as I did, every hair on my body stood on end because emblazoned on that t-shirt in white lettering, it said, what we do for ourselves dies with us. What we do for others and the world remains and is immortal. And I stood there, I was like, Peyton, are you kidding me? This is the t-shirt you were wearing the day you left this earth. So, wow, if that's not a message and an inspiration to do what we've done, you know, we set out to really save other parents from this incredible, debilitating heartache that we now live with every day. Yeah, that's an incredible story. And you tell it so eloquently, uh, Julie. Uh, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for others that go through this. Uh, I, can, I can truly appreciate it. So she was an athlete, wasn't she? Well, Peyton, we have a really different story than most parents who lose a child to sudden cardiac arrest without warning. So I was actually diagnosed with a heart condition in my late 20s. And because it's hereditary, they started to check my kids. And they we, we found it in Peyton when she was in fifth grade. So she was allowed to play sports. She was followed by a pediatric cardiologist. She was on medication. She played sports in middle school and then had to stop by the time she got to high school because this heart condition that we have is called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And it really is difficult to be active in sports once you're diagnosed with it and have it. So she was not participating in, in organized sports um, once she hit high school. Okay. But a lot of the work that you're doing now with the Peyton Walker Foundation Tell us, um, so you go from literally opening the bag to doing what next? 
I mean, how did you get to the point where you decided it was time to use your power, use your voice, use the tools available to you to keep this from happening somewhere else? Well, that, yeah, that's, that's the million dollar question. So first and foremost, we decided that the mission of the foundation was to increase awareness and survival rates of sudden cardiac arrest. So once we determined the mission, we started to peel that back a little bit and say, okay, what does that look like? And my entire life and career revolves around logistics planning. I'm a a meeting planner. I have my own meeting planning business. So it's all about logistics and problem solving, checking the box, connecting the dots. So that's the skill set that I, you know, I've been training with my entire life. So how do I engage those skills and apply them to the foundation is what we, I kind of stepped back and figured that out. So identified, you know, the major issues in this arena of sudden cardiac arrest is number one, most kids that have the die of sudden cardiac arrest, they have no idea they had an underlying heart condition. So how do we fix that? So we went about and trying to figure out how to fix that. Another issue is anyone who's in cardiac arrest has to have the, a shock from an AED or automated external defibrillator. Well, there's not enough AEDs out there. So how can we fix that? And also CPR is required. So if somebody's in cardiac arrest, they need CPR and the shock of an AED. So if people don't know how to do CPR, we can't save anybody. So we kind of identified three tracks that really needed to be addressed and, and remedied. So how many, uh, because I, I kind of found this shocking, but I want you to share this. So how many teens are stricken with sudden, sudden cardiac arrest in this country on, on, like on an annual basis? Well, this, Roger, is what's sadly so underreported in our country. I mean, this really is a health crisis that is completely ignored and, and, and you know, misrepresented. Sudden cardiac arrest is the number one killer of student athletes in our country. And moving from that, and I will say sudden cardiac arrest doesn't discern between athletes and non-athletes. It happens equilaterally across the board. So it does not happen just to athletes, but it's the number one killer of um, kids on school campuses. And one of the leading causes of death in youth under 25 Every hour, every day, we lose another child to sudden cardiac arrest. And almost all of these kids are walking around with undiagnosed and undetected heart conditions. It's staggering when you look at the numbers and it's so underreported. Wow. I, I think I had read somewhere that like 7,000 under 18, and you said it's underreported, but, but if you know about 7,000 of them, and it's underreported. My God, what is the real number? That that's what's really scary. And there's not a there's not a good database out there that's tracking these these numbers and these kids. You know, and and you each kid though you look at it represents a devastated family left behind. So you lose a child, but you also have incredible devastation not only to the family that's left behind, but the friends and you know classmates. I mean, the ripple effect of a of sudden child loss is apps is incredibly debilitating for for the community. So, with sudden, what what are some of the causes of sudden cardiac arrest? And is and it, are there any differences between, let's say, teens that that have sudden cardiac arrest versus older adults? 
All right. Well, let, let me peel back for one second and let's talk about what, what actually is sudden cardiac arrest. So it's Great. an electrical disruption of the heart rhythm. So our hearts are maintained and monitored and run on electricity. So it's very different than a heart attack. Kids typically do not have a heart attack. And that's part of the issue. The media reports it as, you know, 12 year old has heart attack at basketball game. That's incorrect. It's very, they're very different. A heart attack is a plumbing issue. You typically have signs and symptoms that you're having a heart attack. When you have a sudden cardiac arrest, it is like a power outage. It's lights out, no warning, done. So um, with sudden cardiac arrest, it can be hereditary. So you could have an underlying heart condition that's never been diagnosed. It could be viral. So myocarditis is all over the news right now, especially with COVID and the COVID vaccine. And we've seen a huge uptick in myocarditis after vaccinations. Um, it could be a commodio cordis when a child gets hit in the chest with a ball, a bat, a stick, something, it hits it at just the wrong moment and it makes the heart go into um, an arrhythmia and causes arrest. So there are different underlying issues that can lead to sudden cardiac arrest. Uh, is there a, is there a reason, uh, why they go undetected? I mean, to me, as someone who's been around advocacy forever, uh, to me, this is a no brainer. And to me, it's like, why are, why are we not coming up with a solution to be able to help detect uh, signs and symptoms of, of risk. Is there an answer to that, Julie? There sure is. Healthcare is failing our kids and it's unacceptable. Um, you look and think, okay, 40 years ago when I was in high school and playing sports, I got a sports physical. Today, the sports physical is exactly the same as it was 40 or 50 years or even further. So in spite of all of the advances, this is what's maddening to me, in spite of all of the advances in healthcare, all the tools and resources that we have at our fingertips, we're giving kids an antiquated physical that misses all of these important, potentially life-threatening issues. You know, we're checking for hernias. That's not going to cause a kid to drop over dead. So we really need to change first the, you know, sports physicals, we can improve there dramatically and we can also um, change well child uh, physicals. So what do we need to do? A simple electrocardiogram test and an EKG or ECG measures the electrical activity in the heart. And those are the issues, the electrical issues. Remember I said, this is an electrical problem, not a plumbing problem. So it's the electrical issue that leads to sudden cardiac arrest. And if we're not checking for it and looking for these, we're going to miss all these kids and we're going to lose kids that we don't need to lose. Okay. So you told us being the planner that you are and how you organize things and how you go through kind of a project process here, you told us what you did first. Then why did you decide to create the foundation and really dive in and make yourself uh, become exposed and vulnerable uh, to this issue and to this fight? Well, I think so much of it went back to that T-shirt that Peyton was wearing. Um, you know, what we do for ourselves dies with us. And if that wasn't motivation right there and, and a statement like, mom, seriously, you need to do something with this. Now I will say also Peyton was the middle child and 
you know, notorious for getting everyone else to do her work for her. So this made perfect sense. Hey, now um, I'm a middle child. So let's back <laughs> off of the middle child. So, well, <laughs> yeah, she was the master manipulator. Like, oh, I don't really want to do that, but could you do it for me? So, you know, that was our motivation. Peyton, I felt like that it was her clear message that something had to be done with this. And, and my husband and I, you know, we got together and thought, how can we save other families? You know, we, again, are very different coming at this because we knew Peyton had a heart issue. Never, ever in a million years thought this would happen. Um, but how do we save other families? How do we educate them and make sure that they know if their kids have a heart issue? So it was kind of, it, you know, many different factors played into it. And honestly, I was just pissed off. When, when you step back and you see that how the healthcare system is failing our kids and how we could save lives and save families from this, it's a really quick and simple fix and it's very inexpensive. So I am not good at hearing the word no. Um, so, so I said, you know what, we're going to do this. And if I get a no, we're going to figure out how to turn that into a yes. And honestly, I can, I can say I've probably only gotten two no's in eight years and I, I flipped at least one of them. So I'm very proud of that. Um, I'm kind of, I'm relentless. I'm kind of a pain in the butt. So we just, we figured out what needs to be done, what dots needed to be connected. And I'm so not, I'm sorry, not sorry, but who can say no to a grieving mother? You know, when you hear the facts and the, the data behind this and our story and other stories of parents and families that have lost kids to a detectable and treatable heart issue, you got to get on board with this. You know, I, it's, it's time for me to share something uh, on my side that I think it runs in a great parallel to, to where you're at. Uh, a number of years ago, I began at asking myself, the question, well, why did all these great causes even get started? What, what enabled someone to finally say, either enough is enough, or where's anybody else? And, you know, if, if it's me, then so be it, I'm going to step forward. And, and, and it began with me doing some research on some of the really big name, uh, what are currently big name, uh, organizations that are out there fighting for, for other people and very specific causes. We then hired uh, interns and I hired library scientists and they taught us how to do the research. And I had the interns dive into research and we're working on a book called The Because Behind the Cause. And in that, probably the biggest lesson that I learned was all these causes began to write one wrong, one very simple thing. And you just said to me, this is a simple fix. And yet everybody else that's gone down the path that you're going down has been in that same boat. I have to fix one thing. And then what you end up finding is, well, it's really more than one thing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and because it's more than one thing, but you begin that process, you take that step. And when you take that first step, you realize I'm here to overcome one thing. Uh, so you decided to take this action. You set out to create legislation. 
How did that come about? And what did you want to accomplish with the legislation? First, I'll say turning your pain into your purpose is life-changing and incredibly impactful to making a change for the community. So, and you look, right, you look at all of these big, you know, organizations across the country and they all, most of them started because of a tragic heartbreaking situation. So you're absolutely right. If we don't do something, nothing, nobody will be inspired to do something. So what we decided when we're, when we're recognizing, you know, so many of these kids that are dying, again, it's a detectable and treatable heart issue. So how do we change that? So um, we host these heart screenings all throughout central Pennsylvania, working with our major healthcare systems throughout the area. And we have kids come in free of charge, do these screenings. We screen a couple hundred um, at a time. It is an enormous undertaking. And every time we, and I'm so proud of it, we do incredible work. Every single screening, we've had a kid that we have found with a potentially significant heart issue. It's great, but it is not my job. I do not want to be out there providing heart screenings every weekend. We could screen every weekend and still not get all these kids. So I said, you know what, this is not my job. How do we change this? We have a phenomenal senator in our district here in Pennsylvania. He actually had sent his children through our heart screening. So he was familiar with our work, absolutely loved and you know, loved what we're doing. And he agreed. He said, you know what, you're right. This shouldn't be your job. You why are you providing heart screenings? Why isn't healthcare providing heart screenings for these kids? So he got on board and said, we're gonna, we're gonna change this. Texas passed a law called uh, Cody's Law. They were the first in the country. They worked six years at this to get legislation passed that educates parents about the importance of electrocardiogram testing, um, ties it into the sports physical so they can requ request that as part of the sports physicals. And I'm that kind of person. I'm like, well, if Texas can do it, then we're certainly going to do it in Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania, for anyone who may or may not be aware, we are never at the forefront for anything legislatively. We are very antiquated here in PA. So... That didn't stop. That didn't stop me. I'm not I'm not shy or, or scared about that. So we had a phenomenal senator. His team was absolutely incredible, put together Peyton's law. And, you know, during the most contentious political time in our country's history, his team worked behind the scenes, got Peyton's law introduced in 20 in like July of 2019. July of 2020, our governor signed Peyton's law into law in 12 months, most contentious time in, in our history politically. And there was no, there were no objections. It was, it had 600 plus positive votes. Not one person objected to it. Pretty phenomenal. Again, it's, it's one of those aha moments. Why aren't we doing this? But Peyton's law wasn't. Time out. Time, time out. You're telling me that not one legislator raised a flag and said, I can't support this for whatever reason. Not one. And it went, it, it had so many votes, you know, it went, it went to the House and Senate here in Pennsylvania twice and not one person voted against it. It's a and no that, brainer. And, and for those that don't know, in the House, I think it's 203 members of the House of Representatives in Pennsylvania, and there are 50 senators right. uh, in the state legislature. So it probably had multiple votes on the, on the House side due to procedures uh, and the same on the Senate. That is Julie, I had no idea. That is incredible. It is incredible. I am really proud of that. And again, oh, during, wow. during COVID, during, you know, during the shutdown and everything else that's going on, during, you know, a very re divided Republican Democrat situation, and we were able to get that through without objection. It's, it's incredible. So 
the law requires what? So what it does, and this is this is step one, it, it requires any athlete in Pennsylvania who is participating in organized high school sports, they have to sign their pre-participation exams. And that's, that's pretty much standard across the country. But on our sports forms, um, there's information about sudden cardiac arrest, the signs and symptoms to watch for, and it also provides in very specific information, encouraging parents and athletes to get the kids' hearts screened and why it's important, what that can show, and how it can help to prevent sudden cardiac death. So it's got all that information. The parents have to read it. It doesn't mandate or require electrocardiogram testing. Right now, it's educating them about it. So I want to call that Peyton's Law 1.0. It was <laughs> phenomenal. I'm so proud, but it's not enough, Roger. We have to do more. <laughs> See, that's my point. You begin, you write one wrong, and then you say, wait a minute, there's more that needs to be done. You just validated everything that I said. You're welcome. Some, <laughs> well, you know what? And, and so that the audience knows, I don't think either one of us knew we were going down that road in, in, in this interview. You said something about alerting people to the warning signs. What are some of the warning signs and symptoms that are out there for people so that we can educate people right now? Yeah, definitely talk to, talk to your kids and ask them if they're experiencing any of the following. Lightheadedness, dizziness, uh, chest pain or pressure, um, palpitations or, you know, fluttering in the heart, just something doesn't feel quite right. And most importantly, passing out. If your child is passing out before, during, or after sports, or just, you know, around the house, if they startle easily and pass out, please, please have a conversation with your pediatrician or primary care doc and ask them to do an electrocardiogram. See if there's an, uh, see if there is an electrical problem in the heart. The passing out is not normal and it is the number one sign or symptom of a, pot a potential heart issue. All right, that's great. That's great information to know. And people take action. Do not wait, take action now. Uh, that is the ask that I make of listeners today, wherever you are, make sure that you're protecting your children by asking the right questions and, and requesting when you can that EKG, whether or not it's uh, signed into a law or not in a, uh, in a particular state. So with that, you mentioned Texas and Cody's law. Are you trying to replicate Peyton's law in other states? Well, we have had many conversations with other uh, foundations much like ours. Um, across the country. We, uh, New York just got a law passed, uh, Dominic's law. So that, that's been uh, signed into law by the governor just in the past few weeks. It's a similar legislation um, you know, revolving around heart screening and the importance of that. So I, I think the tide is starting, Roger, and it's exciting to see. But again, it's all done by parents leading the cause who have all lost children to sudden cardiac arrest. Florida's working on some great legislation down there, but we're not done. Like in Pennsylvania, we're not done here. We, we, we need to do better. So we, we, we're working with our, our Senator Regan and his team again, and um, he just circulated a co-sponsorship memo, and we're going to go after mandating electrocardiograms for kids. Is it an uphill battle? Absolutely. Do I have broad shoulders? Absolutely. And am I ready for the fight? Bring it on. 
Yes, I'm ready. Some, if not me, who? If not now, when? It's, it's got to move. We've got to move this advocacy issue. Let's at least move the needle. If we can't get it done, let's move that needle. It sounds like you've been listening to some of my, uh, uh, my advocacy presentations because I end them now. If not you, then who? If not when, or if not, you know, when? Uh, I think that I think that's fabulous, and I've got some advice that I will uh, I will throw out to you after the show on some some suggestions for you. Uh, and you mentioned that you're working with some of the other similar organizations. Is there anything on a national level that's kind of trying to take the mantle of this, or at least uh, carry carry the flame a little bit? Well, we are most of us uh, similar foundations like ours from around the country. We're all members of Parent Heart Watch, and Parent Heart Watch is the national voice for you know prevention of, of sudden cardiac arrest in youth. But it's we know federally we're not going to have success in mandating something like this, so we've got to do it state by state, and it, it you know it takes a lot of work um, getting it getting the legislation done and advocating for it. So. We have the national voice, but then we've got to have each state taking, you know, leading the cause and, and the champion it, championing it for themselves. I totally agree. Good, good job, good work, and that uh, and that is Parent Heart Watch uh, that, that's out there on, on on a federal level. Why is it important to have an AED? This is going to be a, a, a probably a slam dunk of a question that you ever ever got. Why is it important to have an AED, the automated external defibrillator? at events, at school events, practices, anything that's going on? Anyone who's in sudden cardiac arrest absolutely needs the shock delivered by an AED. CPR will help. Now. They need it they now. Need it now. Survival rates, this is very sobering. Survival rates of sudden cardiac arrest are less than 10%. And most of it, most of the 90% we lose, most of those people because there was not an AED available. Bystanders didn't jump in to offer CPR. People stand and wait for EMS to arrive. That that's too late. There, you cannot. That person has no blood, no you know, no blood circulating through their body. They've got no heart rate. So it is essential to get you know, call push shock. If you see somebody in cardiac arrest, call nine one one. Push on the chest and get them shocked with an AED. That also AEDs. There's got to be better legislation for them. We need to have them readily available, publicly accessible everywhere. We've got 600,000 out of hospital cardiac arrests every year, and we're losing 90%. Like that, that's, that is unacceptable. So we've got to get more AEDs. We've put 250 out in uh, the central Pennsylvania area. We raise money to donate those. Um, two of the AEDs we've donated have been used to save a life. And I'll tell you, if I don't do one more thing in my lifetime, that right there is enough. Yeah. Great, great example of of that, uh, it made me think here. Uh, you know, at my golf club, uh, we not only have one, we have I think eight, and we have four of them on the golf course. That's phenomenal! Wow, that's unheard of, uh, Roger. That's I've and, never heard. Of that. And there's a list of where every one of them is, so that you know. I was just the other day. I was hole 15, and I was looking at this list. And it said where, so I know that if something happened after I left hole 15, where's the next closest place I can get to to get one? And uh, so I, I think we're doing a great job, and I'm going to tell our staff 
that I'm very pleased and happy uh, that, that they're doing those kind of things. Uh, personal storytelling is so important in any advocacy message. It is, is it difficult for you or empowering when you share your message that's so personal? It is incredibly draining. Um, this is the hardest job I've ever done. And it's interesting because I am a meeting and event planner. So that's one of the top five most stressful jobs, according to, I think it was USA Today. Um, so it's, I, I, my regular job is, is very stressful and demanding. My side hustle, which is the Peyton Walker Foundation, um, crazy side hustle, is the hardest work I've ever done. It is so draining. Like, you know, when, when I wrap up our interview today, I'll just, I'll need a little time to decompress. It is incredibly draining to, to share it, but it's so important because I just want people to understand. I don't do this work for me. I do this work for the moms and dads and brothers and sisters out there. I don't really benefit from this. It does not make me feel better. I don't feel healed after losing my daughter by doing this work, I don't do it for me. I do it for you. And I, and I want people to understand that like this can happen to anyone that I think I was going to lose a child. And then I was going to set out and pass legislation and save lives and offer heart screenings. No, but I feel felt the call to action. You know, my daughter led that. Um, but I do it. I do it for you. I do it for those parents out there. So you don't ever know this heartache. Wow. Wonderfully said. Wonderfully put. Can you share with the audience uh, the best tip that maybe you have received as you took on this endeavor and this cause? You know, I, I don't know that I've really received any advice. Um, I have just been a relentless pain in the butt. So, and I, and I think that's, that, that would be my tip to pass on. I, be a, I yes. qualify. Okay. <laughs> um, and I honestly, and that, this is what's crazy. Do you think I knew one thing about running a nonprofit foundation when we started? Nope. And, you know, we're eight years into this and I'm still learning every day, you know, kind of figuring it out as we go along. I'd say, don't wait until you know how to do it. Just start. You have to start somewhere um, turn your pain into your purpose. And I think things will fall into place. Wonderful, wonderful things. Um, as someone who doesn't normally, uh, you know, as the meeting planner, you don't normally work in the advocacy space. What's the first thing that comes to mind when I just say the word advocacy? I'd say advocacy is fighting for what you believe in and not not taking no for an answer. Perfect. Excellent. Did I pass the test, Roger? Wait, was that correct? <laughs> well, listen, that, that, those are personal things. And, right. and I love getting people's personal perspective on that. And, it's, and it amazes me the variety of answers that we receive. And yet, I don't know that there's ever been one that's wrong. Okay. Because it's it, it, it's the point, and that's why I say what's the first thing that comes to mind, because I don't want you to think about a, a definition. I want you to think about what's behind the definition of that. Hey, Julie, this has been, this has been eye-opening. This is wonderful. I am so proud of the work that you, you're doing. Uh, 
any final thoughts, anything you want to add out there? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, first and foremost, talk to your kids about signs and symptoms that could be identifiers of a heart issue. Ask for an electrocardiogram for your, for your child, get a baseline EKG when you go to the doctor's office. Um, make sure AEDs are available where kids play and practice sports. We've actually had uh, research that shows there's more cardiac arrest during practice than during a game. So make sure the AEDs are accessible and available at practice as well. And, you know, take 10 minutes, jump online, watch a CPR video. If you don't know how to do CPR, just watch a video online and understand how to do, how to do CPR. The beautiful thing about AEDs, when you open them up, it talks you through. It tells you exactly what to do. You can't shock someone, you know, mistakenly with it. It looks for a shockable heart rhythm. You can't misuse it. Educate yourself. Just, just really take 10 or 15 minutes, understand what sudden, sudden cardiac arrest is, you could help save a loved one's life by taking that 10 minutes. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. Uh, tell people how they can learn more about the Peyton Walker Foundation. And most importantly, where they can go to donate so that you can continue to advance this cause. PeytonWalker.org. And, and that's P-E-Y-T-O-N. Walker. Correct. Yep. P-E-Y-T-O-N walker.org. And um, the beautiful thing, our donations, you know, we've got a lean little staff. We've got, you know, two and a half people working and the work we get done is absolutely incredible. We are changing lives. We are saving lives, passing laws. It, it's just incredible. Uh, you know, we make good use of any donations that come in. Good. I, I, Highly suggest people go take a look at PeytonWalker.org and uh, learn more about what's going on here and, and uh, help, this, help this wonderful cause. That's a wrap of today's great conversation with a lady I'm so very proud of for her cause that she has championed. Thank you, Julie Walker of the Peyton Walker Foundation for sharing your journey today. I wish you nothing but all the best. Thank you so much, Roger. It was a pleasure being here. Let's face it. Today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The RAP Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com. That's R-A-P-Index.com. And tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. A big thank you to today's guest. I appreciate your time and the unwavering passion for advocacy you have. Well, that's it for this episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world.
We hope you enjoyed today's Voices and Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices and Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.